One of the things that we try to keep true to is expectations. And that is, and maybe that was one that I didn't bring out maybe enough in our previous conversation, but it's certainly one that we look at today. And it's probably, maybe it's the most important of them all. When you set the expectations right up front, you have such a greater propensity to succeed. Technology is transforming how we think, how we lead, and how we win. From InterVision, this is Status Go, the show helping IT leaders move beyond the status quo, master their craft, and propel their IT vision. Welcome to Status Go. This is your host, Jeff Tun. Over a year ago, we started a series of interviews that focused on the CIO's first 30 days. We thought it would be interesting and beneficial to revisit our conversations with those CIOs to see where are they now. When we first talked to Warren, he was a little bit over a year into his job as CIO at Byrider, but we were only 30 days into the COVID pandemic at that time. Warren Lennard is the CIO for Byrider. Uh, And he's now been there for a couple of years. And uh, a year ago, we asked him to look back on his first year. This year, we're having him look back on what's transpired since we talked in that series. So, Warren, welcome to the show. Jeff, thanks a lot. I appreciate you uh, inviting me back. And just to qualify, I just uh, crossed my uh, third year anniversary. Third year. You know, I, I even looked that up before we started. And I, I still messed up. <laughs> <laughs> you know, time does fly. And it seems like this whole pandemic has morphed our sense of time. What, what seems like was uh, a month ago was really six months ago, a year ago. It's just gone on and on. It's kind of hard to comprehend that we're almost two years into this thing. I would agree. So looking back on our conversation from 2020, when this thing started, I think we were originally talking probably in the April timeframe of that year. What's transpired? Catch us up today. What's gone on in the last uh, year plus there at Byrider? Well, I guess like any organization, we've had to adapt. And there are things that we had adapt to, had to adapt to uh, that were directly related to what, what COVID brought to the table and, and how we needed to change in an organization. Uh, but there were also normal business operations and, and, and technology challenges that we had to continue to pursue as well. And some of those were influenced by COVID, not maybe mm-hmm. caused by COVID, but totally influenced. And, and we've had to pivot. Uh, it's like anything else. Nothing ever goes according to plan, right? <laughs> no. And, and no. I think that like with any football team, when you go up to the line of scrimmage, if, if you don't have a couple of audibles in your back pocket, you're in, you're in, in deep, you know what? Yeah. So yeah. I, I think you've always got to be able to pivot. You've always got to be made, able to make uh, some, sometimes some very difficult decisions. And what I'm happy to, to say from a perspective of buy is we're, you know, completing this year and we will have our best year ever. And that's wow. in spite of the challenges that, that COVID brought to us. And, and some of those are very significant for us, uh, which I can get into in a little bit. But uh, we are going to wrap up the year, best year ever. 
And with that said, though, you know, we've had complications along the way and things we've had to deal with. Uh, some of those, again, COVID related, some of those not. Yeah. Has the the supply chain issue caused havoc in your business? I know in the new car business, there's been a lot of talk about that. How has that impacted uh, you all at Byrider? Well, you just hit the nail on the head. Uh, supply chain, I'd say all of my peers would and, and our CEO would probably echo if uh, it's definitely one of, if not our biggest issue that we have. And, mm-hmm. and the reason for that is because it has a trickle down effect. So you're absolutely right. The, the new car dealerships uh, are struggling with chip production and therefore uh, there is a lack of new cars. Anybody out there that's gone to a new car dealership, uh, there's nothing there. Yeah. And a lot of those, because SUVs tend to sell more than cars these days, specifically in certain markets, you'll go there and that's what you'll see. And if you want an actual sedan, you've got to order it and you may wait four five, six months for that car. The new car dealerships have had to compensate. So they've had to compensate their sales with used car sales. So you get some top feeding going on now. And now your traditional used car dealerships are getting their lunch ate by the new yeah. car dealerships. And now they start to do some top feeding going down and they start dipping into our lunch. Uh, as yeah. we service a subprime market, there's a certain you know inventory of vehicles that we buy, older vehicles, vehicles with more miles on them. And we're finding that there's a shortage of those because the folks up top here are, are kind of gobbling those up. And it's been a real problem. Uh, Our inventory levels are probably at 50% of what they normally are. Wow. So you can only imagine having to, you know, go out there and and sell your cars and attract customers to dealerships where the lots are half full. And it definitely um, is is a much bigger challenge for us in spite of it we still are having the best year that Byrider's ever had. So we can only imagine if inventory had been full. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I, I think that's a testament to uh, the grit that your organization uh, has showed during this pandemic to be at 50% inventory levels, yet having the best year ever. I think that's great. How has that shown up in your IT team, Warren, that, that grit, that attitude? Uh, you know, people have persevered. Now, uh, on the same token, you know, we've been met with other challenges and challenges around talent. We've had turnover mm-hmm. and we've had turnover for all sorts of reasons. Uh, people leaving for more money, people leaving for other opportunities, people who wanted to relocate, but yet they wanted a hundred percent remote job. And we've had to deal with all those things. And it's been tough because there's been a shortage on talent, which I'm sure all of yeah. my uh, CIO brother and sisters out there can attest to coming and getting new talent has been a real challenge, especially for certain roles. So that's been something we've had to contend with. Uh, and that's part of the grit, you know, of having some of that turnover and getting new people in and having to get those folks up to speed very quickly. And of course, while that's happening, you have people who are already here a lot of times having to wear multiple hats, uh, including yours truly. I've had to dip down uh, into doing things that I normally like wouldn't be doing, but you have to, to keep the the wheels turning on the train. Yeah. So it's a testament to the team, their determination, their commitment to keeping things going and turning out 
uh, products that we deliver to our organization, as well as completing various different projects on time and within budget. So I, I couldn't be happier with the performance of the team in spite of all of those challenges that have hit us. Well, I know our audience, our listeners can't see you, but I have the, the benefit of, of having you on camera and I know you're in the office. So talk to us about the office situation at Byrider and walk us through the steps that you all have taken. Yeah. So, you know, again, when, when COVID hit, uh, you know, it's interesting because people made some life-changing decisions very quickly. It, it was interesting to kind of see and, and watch, even though when COVID did hit and we realized that we had to retreat to our homes, most people, although I think, as you know, I've been coming to the office every day since the beginning. Mm-hmm. And, you know, let's face it, in the beginning, it was probably one of the safest places to be because nobody was here. So. <laughs> but my personal opinion was I just felt the need to be here uh, in case there were people that did come in. I wanted to be there and show my support and show leadership by the virtue of the fact that I was here. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, it doesn't hurt that I'm five minutes down the road. And I'd like to believe I would have made the same decision if I was 30 minutes away, uh, but you know, we'll never know, right? Because That's I'm right. down the road. Yeah. So yeah, people made some, some, some really quick decisions, even though we had said, listen, this is more or less temporary. We're going to support work from home. Uh, lots of folks made changes. Uh, people got rid of second cars. People got rid of daycare, even though, you know, when we went to remote, the company had to put together an agreement between the organization and the employees that said that kind of hear the rules of the road with regard to working from home or working remotely, you know, that you need to have ample space to be able to do your job at home. Uh, it should be quiet. It should be private uh, because there could be confidential information being discussed when you're on meetings such as this. It is not a substitute for daycare was one of the lines that's in there. And yet I know for a fact that people made some decisions that were probably, you know, kind of ran against that, if you will, Mm -hmm. Uh, and almost thinking like, this is it, this is great. And I think in many respects, people will gravitate to, to convenience. Uh, and, And I don't mean to kind of throw people under the bus. I really don't. I just think that it's a normal knee jerk reaction for folks to kind of gravitate towards convenience over other things that might be more important. Uh, So, you know, as far as, and, and, you know, great examples in the world have been things like digital music, right? When you think about when digital music first hit the scene, uh, it was terrible. I mean, it was just terrible, (laughs) terrible quality, but people gravitated to it. Why? Because it was convenient. You know, you didn't have to flip the record on the turntable. You didn't have to do all those different things that today you had, and you could go to playlists and things like that, but the quality of music was horrible. Today, it's a different story. Music is digitally sampled and all of those things, but it took us a while to get there. People didn't care. They took convenience over quality like that. Mm -hmm. And even when you watch people watching movies on mobile devices like phones, uh, as opposed to, you know, watching it in the movie theater or on a surround sound system. It doesn't seem to be important for people because convenience trumps that. So yeah. you realize how quickly gra- people gravitate to things like that. So we knew we had to adapt as well. We have a space out here dedicated to the IT organization where folks sat in being in an agile world here that we do our development and product development. And 
it was very much an open space. What I learned like much later on, like almost more recently until we rebuilt it, was people didn't like the space. Oh. <laughs> uh, and, and so we, uh, we completely rebuilt the space and we now have kind of three collaboration uh, areas that have Google Meet rooms built into them and they're all different flavors. So one's mm -hmm. got kind of a high test desk table with stools, one's low, and then one is more of a loungy area. And then another side of the, of the area now is built for hoteling. So as people come in, they can just park it. Every space has two monitors, a docking station. Come in, you can work for the day, the morning, the afternoon, whatever that is, and, uh, and do that. And then we had people raise their hands and said, I'd like to be in the office full time. Yeah. And we gave those folks dedicated space in another area that was just adjacent to this, I'll call it remote work area. Mm -hmm. And it has worked out nicely. Uh, what we're starting to ask of people now is to come in a bit more frequently to determine what that cadence might be. So it looks like at the turn of the year, we will have our product teams coming in probably two days every other week to do their sprint reviews and their sprint mm -hmm. planning. And that will start to get people in the office more often. I also conduct quarterly all hands meetings where everybody comes in for that. Uh, yeah. We do a meeting in the morning, and then in the afternoon we do something social someplace. We've done axe throwing, we've done bowling, we've done the top golf, just yeah. to kind of keep the camaraderie going. Yeah. So when this pandemic first hit, uh, I think you said like ninety-seven percent of the headquarters staff went remote, right? So ninety-seven percent out of about four hundred people. Where are you today? Kind of what percentage of people that are in the office at least some of the time? So the, the numbers probably still way up there as far as remote. And I say that because when you look at the number of people that were in this office, um, almost half of those folks really worked in our operations team around collections. Mm -hmm. And that team went remote and it looks like they will stay remote. That call center group will remain remote. So they'll be 100% remote, which only leaves about another 50% of the office. I'd say of the remaining 50% of the office, we're probably 75% remote still okay. uh, and 25% in the office on a regular basis. But then you've got another percentage that are coming in every once in a while. Uh, we've got 11 people on the senior management team. Uh, four of us, four to five of us come in every day. Some of the senior management team, you know, when, when COVID hit, there were some new folks that were brought on and folks that had been here that had plans to relocate to Indianapolis uh, and to Carmel here. Mm -hmm. uh, and those plans got changed. They went elsewhere or they didn't relocate. So we've got more than half of the uh, leadership team, the executive team that lives remote, but does come in one week out of every month. Uh, and we're all together here. So for those weeks, the population of people in the office is greater because I know that my peers, just like I do, I ask my management team to be here when the senior management folks are in. It gives them an opportunity to get some face time, do some collaboration. I even ask our product owners to come in during those times because they can get some face time with some of their senior leaders uh, who are influential in building those products. Yeah. You mentioned earlier that Byrider came up with a list of kind of the requirements or here's, here's what we need from you if you're going to work remote. I think you called it the 10 elements of business conduct. 
when we were doing the prep call? Is that the same document that we're talking about? Yeah, uh, it was really a document that called out exactly yeah. like what are the things that you need to keep in mind and need to be following uh, by working from home. And again, it came down to establishing a good working space, yeah. wherever that might be. You know, and you see it. Some people are in a bedroom. Some people are in a in a garage. Yeah, some yeah. people are outside. Some people are everywhere. But as long as you can find that space where you will have less interruptions, and I think we've all learned to deal with certain interruptions, whether they're they're newborn children, pets. Uh, but at the end of the day, we do expect people to keep those at a minimum. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and be able to have those confidential conversations when we're talking about that type of content where there aren't people within earshot of that. So and I think that the folks that are here full time, some of them are here full time because, number one, they want to be here. They feel they're more productive because they don't have that type of space at home. Yeah. yeah. They said, you know, I can't establish that kind of space at home, so I'm going to be here. How has that impacted your service desk or your support team? Uh, with having much more remote work than than prior to the pandemic? What's that done to their processes and, and the way they handle things? Well, at the service desk level, I don't think it's really changed a lot. Okay. And I say that because well before the pandemic hit, we had made a move at the service desk. We had three modes of contact, if you will, with the service desk. Uh, you were able to call, of course. Mm-hmm able to email and of course there were walk-ups yeah. we discouraged walk-ups but we accepted walk-ups once we moved forward and we established a portal to people to log tickets we did a couple of things number one is over time we eliminated email as a mechanism to open up a service desk ticket uh, you may ask why well because when you send an email to the service desk it's not a ticket yet it's sitting in an email queue yeah. And until someone on the service desk can get it and read it and decipher it and then put it into the system, uh, there's a gap there. Mm -hmm. So the end user believes tickets in and tickets not in, not yet. And they would do their best to get to them, but it wasn't very effective and it wasn't very efficient. So by establishing a portal where the user themselves could go into the portal and after a few drop down questions, get this, uh, the ticket in, the ticket's now in the system mm-hmm. and we don't have to worry about translating and getting it in. So over time, we eliminated email and we also eliminated walk-ups. We basically said we are not accepting people walking up to the service desk anymore and talking to us. So there was either the portal or it was a phone call. Yeah. And so we had done that long before the pandemic. So when the pandemic hit, having our service desk people work from home really didn't change the process too greatly. Uh, you know, our, our desktop support and our more, you know, desk, you know, um, laptop support. And, and that's changed a bit, obviously. Uh, and folks, uh, we have to have people here on site because as people have issues, they have to come in, drop their laptop off. Someone needs to, you know, be able to tend to it. And there are things within the office, our video conferencing rooms, things that need maintenance, need things like recycling or maintenance. Uh, We need that team here. So that team, you know, when COVID first hit, they kind of dispersed and they weren't here. And that became an issue for us. So we had to slowly but surely get people back in. And they've been cycling through. But, you know, I know that I see most of them here more often than I used to. So that's kind of changing. But uh, that was one of the challenges, no doubt. Well, and I think uh, 
you know, all of a sudden you had to support the home network, right? Uh, as people were dialing, I'm sure, I'm sure you're the makeup of some of the calls to the service desk probably changed as a result of the, uh, of COVID uh, that uh, now, Hey, I'm having trouble with bandwidth or I'm having trouble with this. And it ends up being a home networking problem. So I'm sure you had to face that. Absolutely. Um, you know, you've got to kind of decipher through that. And it's one thing that we're kind of used to anyway, uh, because with ByWriter, uh, as, as some of our audience knows, we're about 80% franchise-owned stores. Mm-hmm. And, and so when we're supporting those franchises that use all of our collective systems here to run their business, what we don't do is we don't support their on-premise computers yep. or their connectivity. So we have always been used to kind of sifting through those issues because we'll have a franchisee call us up and saying, I'm having an issue getting to various different systems. And one of the things we have to establish right away, are they having a problem or are we having a problem? Yeah. So now that's extended into our own people. <laughs> are they having a home network problem yeah. or actual system problem. Uh, in, in that regard, you you all were probably uh, better equipped for some of the, what happened than some of your peer CIOs uh, in other organizations. Warren, I, I'd love to turn our attention now to the conversation that we had. I admit I screwed it up at the beginning. It was almost two years ago. <laughs> um, time, time flies when you're in the midst of a pandemic. But I, I want to turn right. our attention back to that conversation. And in that conversation, just to remind you and remind our listeners, we were talking about you looking back on your first uh, 30 to 90 days. And you talked about six topics that was important for the CIO. And just to recap, change for sake of change, the past is past, people, first team, landmines, and process or procedure. So to our listeners, you really need to go back and listen to that episode. Uh, There was a lot of great insight in that from Warren. But the the question I have for you today, Warren, is two years later, what of those six topics have changed? Do they still resonate? Did, have you tweaked them? Kind of bring us up to speed on what you've learned in the last two years. I, I think those topics will be ever present there'll always be elements of those things. Uh, Thankfully, as we move forward and we've been developing new products to replace legacy products, uh, we can kind of get away from the past. Uh, You know, I do see my team at times reflecting back on and saying, well, that's old code and that's this problem. And I I try and steer away from those things because one of the things I, I, I pride ourselves on is our transparency to the organization. Mm-hmm. Uh, I am very quick to admit when you know we do something that is on us and we've caused a problem, uh, we sweep nothing under the carpet. My team knows that. We are very, very transparent. Uh, I do a readout to my senior peers and our CEO every month in a senior management meeting that we have every week. We all take kind of turns. And I'm very clear about, you know, the issues that we have had, you know, I try and not go over projects in those meetings because there's enough venues to go over project status. Mm -hmm. I go, what I report out on is the health of IT. You know, how well are we doing? How are we handling tickets? Uh, How are we doing with our progress as far as deployments? 
Did we have a lot of production bugs? Did we have things that we had to um, back out of a deployment? Uh, things like that that I talk about and, and the issues that uh, that we experienced. I, I'm very clear about the issues that we caused and the ones that really were part of our service providers and the differentiation between the two. And not that we dismissed the service provider ones because at the end of the day, you know, if we're having a, a service provider issue, we still own it. Yeah. yeah. Because we are the conduit to get it done. So many of those elements still play in our day to day. You know, when I think about some of the shadow IT projects that when I came aboard that were out there, some of them still kind of continue to rear their ugly head mm -hmm. as we move forward because we dealt with some, but some of them were still kind of out there. And I am pretty confident that at this point we've corralled them all mm -hmm. and we're dealing with them. And some of them resulted in some very difficult decisions, as you can imagine. Yeah. A, a project that's gone on for, let's say, two years and you finally looking at it and going, this is just dead. Mm -hmm. uh, this is not going anywhere. And you've got to make that very unpopular call to go to your CEO and say, I know we've been working on this for two years or the organization has been working on this for two years and this is, this needs to just be put to bed. Yeah. Yeah. You know, take it around back of the barn and, you know, <laughs> that's right. And make some of those calls. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I have not been happy about having to make that call, but it's better than having it continue on. Yeah. And in other cases, uh, there were some of those shadow IT projects we were able to rescue and salvage. Mm -hmm and actually turn them into huge wins. And one of those for us was around reporting and analytics, where we took what was kind of a, a project around data warehousing that was moving along, but not moving along in the, with the acceleration and velocity that people wanted, and was certainly not going to turn out a product that people wanted. And we did that, that was over last year and last around August, September. Uh, we deployed our business intelligence tool Looker to the entire organization, and we've been slowly but surely transforming all legacy reports into dashboard type builds. And that's been a huge win for us across the entire organization, including the franchise community. And I think it's been things like that that have helped us, you know, the transparency, the corralling of projects, calling the ones that are dead, dead, and just saying, Let's, we just need to be done with this. All of that combined has helped us win the confidence of the organization, especially the franchise community, which can be a tough crowd at times. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, we're in a good place in that regard as far as the our reputation within the organization. You know, as well as anybody, we can always be doing more as far as anybody <laughs> else is concerned. We can always be delivering more and yep. we try to. But one of the things that we try to keep true to is expectations mm -hmm. and that is and maybe that was one that i didn't bring out maybe enough in our previous conversation but it's certainly one that we look at today and it's probably maybe it's the most important of them all when you set the expectations right up front you have such a greater propensity to succeed yeah yeah and you won't be in that situation of over promising and under delivering you'll be right there. And you might have people leave that planning session. So we do something called quarterly planning, where we bring the business and IT into the same room. 
And we actually have a bucket of hours that represents our developer time, our DevOps time, uh, product owner time. And we put that in there and we go through the items that the business wants to see prioritized in the coming quarter. And we size that. We actually do some pre-sizing and we go through and we do a pass and we say, okay, you want to do this one as a priority. We put it up in the bucket decrements. We get to zero. The business is done. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, in very typical fashion, as you can imagine, there's a lot of things under the line. Right. And they're not happy about that, but they leave the room with an expectation of what is going to get done mm -hmm. and we get that done. And sometimes we can even deliver a surprise here and there. Yeah. yeah. So uh, I think that that's one maybe we didn't talk about before. That's probably, you know, number one on our list of what we make sure we're clear about, which is expectations. Yep. The other thing that I wanted to talk about from our prior conversations, you gave our listeners two very, very good call to action. The first one was develop your brand as you move into your new role. That was call to action one. The other one was to be sure that you have empathy and sympathy to your people's needs. So first question for you related to those. Looking back over the last two years, how has your brand, your personal brand, Warren, changed in the last two years, would you say? I think it more so than changed. I've just kind of confirmed the things coming in here that we were going to be about. And, and some of this might be a repeat, but it's really about the things we and we just spoke about transparency. It's about us being able to meet expectations and, and set those expectations so we can deliver what our business is looking for us to deliver. Again, around the transparency and being us being honest with the end user community and our business community as to what it is that they need and, uh, and that we are actually listening. Mm -hmm. And maybe that now kind of gets into the second piece yeah. that you just spoke about, which is, you know, at the end of the day, we're a service and I make sure that I get across to my organization that we should think of ourselves as a service organization. And I often use the, the analogy of think of, think of us as a separate company that Byrider has hired. Mm -hmm. And think about if you were a partner in that organization and we're delivering a service and our longevity, our renewal of our contract every year mm -hmm. was based upon what we delivered and how we delivered it and their satisfaction with our service. If you think in terms of those things, I guarantee you, you will, you will perform differently every day yeah. because the other, because the antithesis to that is coming in here and just assuming you're here and that the job will be here and that we will go on. And I think at that time, when you think in terms of that way, um, there's, there's too much of a chance to under deliver, to not perform well and not, and think in terms of the customer. So thinking in terms of our people and empathizing and sympathizing with the things that they need to get done mm -hmm. at the end of the day, we're not selling the cars. They are, yeah. but we enable them to do it in a better way. We give them a better experience so they can enable our customers with a better experience. And if we consistently think that way and always go into the room with an open ear 
and not kind of rejecting that we know better. Uh, I, I think that was a major change that went on here culturally when I first got here. And it's one that we continue to foster going forward. That's excellent. And I, I love the way you tied those two things together. And I would say that that mantra of empathy and sympathy is part of your brand. So I think that's excellent. Now, we're nearing time, and I want to be sure that we leave our listeners again with a strong call to action. So, Warren, what are one or two things our listeners should do tomorrow because they listen to our conversation today? You know, listen, I, I can't speak for everybody else, but I have to believe that the things that we're doing here around um, how we interface with our end customers, how we are transparent, how we manage expectations, and, and how we're open-minded to everything, not only what our business needs, but also embracing the world that we're living in today. And, and for some of us, including myself, I, admittedly, you know, this is not the world I'm comfortable in, mm -hmm. you know. Uh, for, for decades, I've worked in, in the office amongst people and was able to walk outside in my office and, and dip into someone's office and say, hey, you got a minute and have that kind of off the cuff conversation. And I do believe that for the most part doesn't exist today, right. you know, except for the folks that are in. And we try and recreate that. I try and set the tone within my own organization to continue to do that virtually. Very often I will... I will still try and operate as if everyone is still here. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that is if I normally would have walked out of my office to go talk to somebody, I will go in Google meet and I'll say to somebody, Hey, you got five minutes and I'll throw a Google meet up on the, uh, right up on there and have, and have them jump in and have a video conference with me. Cause what I want to discuss with them, I want to talk about, yeah, I don't yeah. want to type. Yeah. It's too easy to get sucked into just doing chat all day. And by having those off the cuff kind of spontaneous virtual meetups, I, I think that makes a whole lot of sense. And I would encourage any of our listeners to continue to do that and don't get lulled into this remote world and not doing that. Yeah. One thing I probably, I think I mentioned last time, maybe not, but when we do get on camera, we do have meeting. It is on camera. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm very clear about that because Otherwise, you reduce it to an audio conference. We're losing a lot anyway, I believe. But at the end of the day, at least if we can see faces, we can see expressions, yeah. we definitely collaborate better with one another. So continue to do that and continue to navigate through this world because it's got its ebbs and flows. And I think as we've seen recently where we thought things were going one way and then boom, it goes back the other way. <laughs> and I, I think we're never going to know. I think 2022, in my opinion, will be the pivotal year mm -hmm. as to see where this all goes and whether or not we kind of get back to some degree of normalcy or where we are right now is going to be the normal. Yeah, yeah. I think you're right about that. And and that is great advice for our listeners, Warren. And, you know, as usual, when you and I sit down to talk shop, time just flies by. So we're at time. And I want to thank you for taking time out of your day. I know the comings and goings of a CIO, your your time is pretty valuable. And, and I appreciate you taking the time to sit down and talk with us again this year. And maybe we'll do it again next year. Who knows? Or two years, whatever that time frame is. But thank you, Warren. I appreciate it. 
Well, thank you, Jeff. I appreciate you inviting me back. We've been, you know, you and I have been kind of uh, partners for a while now. So I appreciate that partnership and, and, and seeing you. So uh, I look forward to collaborating more in the coming year. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. To our listeners, if you want to learn more, visit intervision.com. The show notes will provide links and contact information. Uh, and I think we'll provide a link to that previous episode that we talked about just to make it easy for you. You can jump right to it. For Warren Lennard, this is Jeff Tun. Thank you very much for listening. You've been listening to the Status Go podcast. You can subscribe on iTunes or get more information at intervision.com. If you'd like to contribute to the conversation, find Intervision on Facebook, LinkedIn, or Twitter. Thank you for listening. Until next time.